Because if you don't have a plant on stage, you're letting the best in life pass you by. Today is our ministry fair, as I mentioned earlier. I told you a little bit about the how. Let's talk about the purpose. And the purpose is simply this. Here at Fellowship of Faith, we want you to grow spiritually. We think God wants you to grow spiritually. And no matter how old or how young you are, we think you're not done growing spiritually. That God is in process of continually inviting us in, calling us on deeper and deeper to grow deeper and deeper in our love of him, in our devotion of him, in our connectivity with his body, and in, in, in what the Bible and Christians will call Christ-likeness. That Jesus is the ultimate human being, the ultimate persona of what someone who is living in devotion and spiritual maturity looks like. And God says, I want to make you like that. I want to make you like that with who you are, but I want you to see in my son and connect in my son Jesus and in that way grow spiritually. We talk about this a lot at Fellowship of Faith. Christians talk a lot about growing spiritually, but have you noticed for all the talk that we give it, a lot of times it doesn't seem to happen. Maybe you've been there. You've heard the speeches, you've heard the talks. But you don't feel it, you don't sense it, you don't see it, it doesn't seem different. And, and it certainly doesn't look different maybe as you look at a cross-section of people, a body, a group, a church, whatever it might be. Well, I wanna talk to you today about that specifically. I wanna talk to you about how to actually grow spiritually. And I want to talk to you about it in light of something that is often overlooked. But by overlooking it, we miss a central component on which spiritual growth actually hinges. So what I'd like to do is I want to show you three passages this morning. I'm going to show you them in rapid succession, and then we're going to come back and talk about them just a little bit. Here's the first. It comes out of Proverbs chapter 2. Can you read that okay? Big enough font? We all right? Here we go. The writer says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. That's passage one. Here's number two, also from Proverbs. Pay attention, he says, pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord, I teach you today, even you. 
Passage number three. Here it is. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Now, in all three of these passages, there is a common thread. It's not that they're all in the book of Hebrews. No, I'm talking content. Through all three of these passages, there is a common thread. I'm curious if you caught it. If not, let me flash back and look again. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, right? Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for it, if you look for it like silver and hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. Okay, great. Second one. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. Apply your heart to what I teach. It is pleasing, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips so that you may trust in the Lord This is what I'm teaching you even today. And number three, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Have you caught the thread? Are you seeing the thread? Are you seeing a phrase that's popping up again and again? Right? You saw it? In case you're missing it, here it is. Apply your heart. Did you catch that? In all three, apply your heart. Apply your heart. God is making this invitation. If you're negatively oriented, maybe you think about it's like a command. But it's an invitation, like come over for dinner. Well, you can't tell me what to do. No, 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 don't understand it that way. He's inviting you into something. He's telling you to do something. What's he telling you to do? Apply your heart. Apply your heart. You, you, you apply your heart heart. It doesn't say have a pastor apply the message to you. It doesn't say go to a church to find the life application. No, the command is apply your heart. You. People ask all the time, how does this apply to me? It is a really good question to ask. But oftentimes, underneath that question is an unspoken assumption. And that assumption is that it is someone else's responsibility to apply what God has to say to me. And so I will sit here and wait until you apply it to me. But that's not what those passages say. The passages say you are supposed to apply yourself to what God has to say. Because see, this is what God does. God gives us principles. And then he fills those principles out with all sorts of examples that we can learn by. And by seeing those He then invites us to figure out how to apply them to our specific circumstances in life. Would you agree that the Bible is a big book? And to you, has it ever felt too big? Like, I don't want to read all this. 
Like, I'm gonna get lost in all this. Can you imagine if God wrote a book for every specific life? How big would that book be? Would you ever read it? Well, I would turn to the index and find my name. Yeah, I know you would. But God has done something else instead. He says, no, here are things that I have to say, but you need to apply it. And can I even push it further? If God was to write a specific book for your specific life, it still wouldn't work and you still wouldn't grow spiritually because if you wait for someone to apply it to you, that is called passivity. And passivity never breeds growth. Now look, we need to learn from people. We need to see by example, an anecdote. We need to, to have others model for us ways of doing things by which we can learn. But often and inadvertently, it stops there. And we don't take it the extra step of learning how to apply it to our situations ourselves. No one can apply it for you. Because God wants you in the trench learning how to do the work of applying it yourself because in that work is where you find the seedbed of actual, real, spiritual growth. The alternative is a lot like going to a gym and asking someone to lift the weights for you. It's easier, but it's pointless. It's a lot like asking your teacher to do your homework for you. Oh, how we wish she would. But you know, if we just wait for the teacher to answer all of our problems, unless that teacher is on personal retainer with you and following you 24-7, which I don't think a lot of you want, right? No, you've got to take the principles that he or she is sharing and learn how to work through it yourself. It's like a person in a high chair asking to be fed. Have you ever heard someone grumble? about a church, that they're just not being fed? You know, John Ortberg has the all-time best response to this. He goes, you've been a Christian for 15 years. Get out of the high chair, take off the bib, and start feeding yourself. And a lot of you probably really don't like that. We'll take it up with John. And maybe in that, allow it to challenge you in a place of your own assumed passivity. Have you ever learned or seen how two people can read the exact same book, take the exact same class, go through the exact same program or whatever the experience might be, and one person comes out absolutely impacted and changed by it, while another has done nothing but burn the time. Have you ever paused to ask, what's the difference? 
Have you ever had the experience where you have tried to do something and it just wasn't flowing? It just wasn't there. But the deadline kept creeping closer. And there in the final hours, it's like creativity explodes. Motivation explodes. Why do we put our homework off until two hours before it's due? Because we know in those moments, we go into hyperdrive and we can get more focused work done. Why? Because we're applying our heart. Because for the first time, it matters. For the first time, it's upon us. Before, it is theoretical. Those who are impacted by something and grow from something and, and, and seek something out of it, they don't have to be told everything what to do. They dig themselves in. They're asking questions. They're thinking about it. They're working through the ramifications. How does this work for me? Have you ever seen a kid with a video game? Do they sit around going, hmm, I wonder who's going to show me how to play this? No, they spend hour after hour after hour digging in researching, looking up cheat codes, going on forums, watching other people play the game online. And by trial and failure and experimentation, playing again and again and again until they become the master. It's not just video games. It's life. And the spiritual life included. Do you want to grow spiritually? You have got to apply your heart. We were in Indiana over the summer, visiting family and reconnected with my wife's best friend's mom, who we haven't seen in a while. I know that sounds a little Ferris Bueller as it came out, right? But, but you're with me. She's recently moved, and with moving comes some downsizing and things like that. And probably because I'm a pastor, she thought of me, and she had some spiritual books, some spiritually oriented books, some Christian books, right? And she gave them to me. What a kind, amazing gesture. But I'll tell you, I always have this knee-jerk reaction when someone moves and they're clearing out their house that they've lived in for 50 years and they give me their books. It's just kind of like, oh, gee, thanks. And then when you get the book and it looks like it was published in 1940, right? It's like, oh, this typesetting is going to be so bad. And you're just like... You smile and you say thanks. She gave me a book by a theologian I didn't know at the time. His name is Peter Marshall. He was a pastor back in the 1940s. Was taken from this world way too soon. Actually became the chaplain of the U.S. Senate for a couple of years. I was bored, and when I'm bored, I do boring things. So I started paging through it, and I was looking at it. It knocked me on my butt. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, cancel your life plans and read this guy today. But I want to read you an excerpt of a sermon that he gave 80 years ago. Let me throw up the, I don't know where I'm putting my stuff. Let me throw up the slide on the screen. It's from Mr. Jones, Meet the Master. Be patient with me. We just got to publish books with covers like this again, don't we? <laughs> Here's what he says. Now, let's be honest. Do we really want to find him? 
I'm picking up in the middle of something that he said. But let me read it again. Let's be honest. Do we really want to find him? Of course, we're talking about God. There is a glorious promise given in the days of old that has not yet faded from the written record. And it says, if with all your hearts ye truly seek me, because of course that's how we talk in the 1940s, ye shall ever surely find me. Ah, there perhaps is our first clue. If with all your heart Ask yourself, am I after all seeking God with my whole heart? Or must I say in all honestly, I want God and yet I don't want him. I want to find him and yet I don't, for I would be afraid to, or I would not want him to find me just yet because am I really seeking God with my whole heart? Then there is another side to the picture. I wonder if we are brave enough to face it. Perhaps there are times when some of us want God as we want a hot water bottle at night to help us overcome some temporary discomfort. Or we look for God to help us when we stand in the roadway looking for a passing motorist to push us to the next gas station. But we can't treat God that way. We simply can't think of God as a kind of luncheon club president or as a telephone operator who will always answer whenever we lift the receiver. Those of you born in the 21st century, ask your grandparents. <laughs> Nor must we think of him as a department store shipping clerk who nightly arranges the orders and sends them sliding down the chutes while we sleep to greet us in the morning we are guilty of the most terrible presumptions. In the old days, if you touched the Ark of the Covenant, you were a dead man. If you went near the mountain in which God dwelt while giving his revelations, it was to court instant death. And when God was pleased to reveal himself even partly to mortal men, they were blinded and bedazzled, stricken to the ground. Always they covered their faces and cried out at the awful majesty of God. And yet here we are, glibly saying that we want to find him and come into his presence. Suppose God were to reveal himself to us here, now, we say we want to find God. Well, well, suppose we did. We say we long to be assured that the Lord is with us. Well, suppose suddenly you reached out your hand and felt him. Suppose suddenly you lifted up your eyes and saw him looking down at you. What would you do? Do we really want to find him? Are, are, are there not some things we love better than him? The neat compromises we have made, whereby our religion will not interfere with our business. The secret sins which we indulge and have managed to keep hidden, do we love them more than we love him? There are a lot of us who have known moments of a terrible conflict. We want him, 
and we don't want him. We want his way and we want our way. We pray thy will be done, but we mean our will. We want to be clean inside, but still do things that make us unclean. We want to see the kingdom come, but meanwhile we vote against the kingdom. We want to be Christians, but we don't want our friends to think we are strange. We are against strong drink, but we must be sociable. We long for purity, but we covet popularity. Most of us are too familiar with this conflict. We want to play both sides. We want to be friends with everybody. But he said long ago, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Yet many of us have settled down to a compromise. We are willing to serve in his church, but we compromise on the number of services we shall attend, for we must also serve the world. We will support the church financially, but not as much as we might, for we must also support the things that are not of the church. We will argue for the intellectual and doctrinal positions of the church, and then with a shrug of our shoulders, express the right to live as we please." then we wonder why we cannot have a real thrilling, satisfying communion with God. It is still true for you and me today. If with all your hearts ye truly seek me, ye shall ever surely find me. God is not hiding, but we are. God is not pretending. Look at the cross, but we are pretending. Look into your own heart and see. It is possible for you and for me to live in this world as sure as the Lord is with us, as we can be sure of anything. To have no fear at all, to be able to anticipate tomorrow with a thrill of delight, to have no fear of anything, neither of sickness, nor unemployment, nor loneliness, nor death, nor anything at all. It is possible for us to be sure as Paul was, but there is a price to be paid. We must be ready to give up some things, and that is always hard to do. It may require some spiritual surgery, and that is not pleasant. And your heart might ask, is it worth all that? Yes, it is worth any price. Indeed, it is the pearl of great price. Man, that brother can preach. But it reveals something to me. that in reality we often don't really want that pearl of great price. And so we go through the motions, we check the right boxes, but our heart is not invested And there. I find a relationship with God is very similar to what I do with couples when I go through marriage counseling. Here's this couple that met once upon a time and they were so into each other. It came easy and naturally. They wanted each other and poured every moment of their life into each other. But through the course of life, life happened. And the other things that captured their heart and the other things that would lead to distraction and the other things of this world got in the way. And before you know it, one has started to take the other for granted. 
One has assumed that the other will just always be there, and so this is all the, always going to be the case. And so the other has become more interned than outward turned, more self-focused than other-focused. And before you know it, the passion and the love, the fervency and the vibrancy has faded somewhere along the way. And it often creeps up on us unaware until we stand there seeing it fully developed before us going, how did I get here? How did this happen? So much of a relationship with God is like a process of marriage counseling. Relearning how to apply your heart to the other person again. And it comes through a series of actions that can be couched in the term intentionality. Learning that it doesn't just come easy, but I've got to make a point of it. Learning that I won't normally drift that way, so I've got to make a schedule for it. Figuring out ways to actively invest myself into the other person. Again, how often is it like this with God? Here, he has called us into this relationship that the Bible will call even marriage. And somewhere over the years, we have learned to take him for granted. And he becomes someone that maybe we need and rely on, but whom we don't love anymore. We need God, but we don't want God. We seek God, but for our own means. And somewhere along the way, wonder why the spiritual fervency has faded. Now, this certainly isn't true all the time and for all of you. So many of you here whom I've had conversations with over the years love God deeply and seek him diligently. And ironically, my bet is that many of you are the ones who identified most with what I read. Despite that, Jesus says something that I'd like to share with you. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Have you ever noticed that you don't need to talk to a tree about applying itself to growth. I brought a plant on stage today. And let's assume for a moment that we want this plant to grow. Would it be wise and helpful for me to surround myself around this plant and going, now plant, bend yourself to the sunlight now, the sunlight will shine through the window that we place you in between noon and 4 p.m. every afternoon. So around noon, you need to kind of position yourself and open your heart so that you're ready to receive the sunlight. And when you're watered, make sure to drink. Make sure to take it in and send it plant throughout your leaves and your stems and down throughout. And make sure that you do this well. Guard yourself, plant against disease. Guard yourself, grow, plant, grow. Plant, you need to grow. You do that? It's stupid. <laughs> what do people want every week in church? Tell me how to grow. 
Tell me how to grow. Apply the Bible to my life. Tell me how it fits in my little niche, in my little question, in my idiosyncratic ways. I can't do that. No one can do it but you. Plant yourself in Jesus, in his principles, in his goodness. Plant yourself in God and you will grow. But a lot of us just don't want the pearl of great price. We're afraid of planting ourselves in the soil. We're afraid of how God might prune. We're afraid of leaving the dirt patch we find ourselves in. And so we settle for a half-life spiritual existence and start to substitute it with all kinds of goofy things. You know, we were in a Brady Bunch theme earlier, so I thought I'd show a, a video today about maybe how not to grow. And uh, let's roll film. Still the same size. Bobby, you've got to give yourself a little time. Guess I'd better stretch some more. Poor Bobby. He keeps measuring himself all the time. And he gets grumpier and grumpier. No wonder he's trying so hard to get tall. If he would just grow a little. Even a half an inch would encourage him. And I watch Christians all the time hanging themselves from swing sets going, how do I grow? We've all been there, haven't we? I'm not mocking you. I'm right in the same boat with you. Funny thing is, there is other things Bobby could have done that would have helped us grow. He could have got a good night's sleep. He could have made sure he was eating a nutrient-rich diet. He could have made sure he was exercising the body God had given him. And God would bring it in time. But instead, we want magic bullets, quick fixes, five simple steps, and clever acronyms by which we can reduce the majesty of the wisdom of God to something easily memorable that we can pull out of our pocket in a moment's need. Guys, I kind of wish it was the case. I really do. But if you've been trying to grow spiritually that way and have been frustrated with the results measuring yourself and not finding inches being added on. Maybe examine the methodology by which you are approaching a growing relationship with God. His invitation to you is to plant yourself in him, to seek him with all your heart, to love him. And by loving him, no one will need to tell you how to apply yourself. No one will need you, need to tell you 
how to figure out because you will pour yourself in. You can ask yourself, am I pouring myself in? And if not, don't just try to pour yourself in question, why am I not loving God more? We're all on this journey of trying to love God more. Make that the focus and application will come. Find what is it about God that lights you up. What is it that delights you? What is it about him that just fascinates you? That you want to know? That you want to discover in a way that you don't currently understand it's out of there? That the seeds of what God is doing in you will be brought to completion, and that is his promise. And you can count on it. As surely as Bobby or plant will grow. So I mentioned it earlier. Today is a ministry fair. It is going to highlight when we're done all kinds of ways that people are gathering to love God together, to seek God together, to move from seeking God with one-eighth of a heart to two-eighths of a heart. And people who are there seeking God with half of a heart, learning how to love him with five-eighths of a heart. And people who are loving him with seven-eighths of a heart, learning how to live him with 15 sixteenths of a heart. How do you like those English conversions on the spot? Because we're all on a journey of learning how to love him more. I could list groups. I can go through times. I could try to sit up here and sell you. If you don't love God, you don't care. But if you want to, you'll seek it out and you'll find a way. And I encourage you, don't delay. Seek him today and see how God helps you grow.